Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible, make a playlist, and sometimes count to five. I'm Matt Gale, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Pierce. I am the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Well, Zach, I just, I just got an email here. Oh, breaking news here on the podcast from the Obama Obama Foundation. It's the Obama Foundation. Mm -hmm. Is it about a podcast? I thought that they were going to announce the new Netflix series that I just saw advertised on my Facebook feed this week. Uh, Our Great National Parks, narrated by Barack Obama. Nothing could be more in your wheelhouse. (laughs) Put it in my veins right now. Oh, look, this episode, special guest appearance by... Bruce Springsteen. Incredible stuff. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, that's not the announcement from the Obama Foundation. Instead, it's President Obama's NCAA men's and women's picks are in. Oh, we've, we'd all been, we've been waiting. waiting. <laughs> I don't mean to make light, Matt. I'd like to say first of a horrific situation, uh, but sometimes it's helpful to laugh at in in the face of terrible things. Uh, what a powerful move if uh, Putin were to release a bracket right now. <laughs> yeah, what what a powerful move, indeed. Indeed. Who did? So tell me about I I have not done much bracketology here. Uh, what's What's the big takeaway? Yeah, I mean, we used to do a bracket every year, and then you refused to fill them out, and I kept them to remind you, fill out your brackets. Uh, So that's how I remember it. Uh. What did he say? He said, said, uh, this was Zags. Now you just do brag. Zags, Gonzaga uh, is who he's got here. It's hard to go against the Jesuits. (laughs) Hard to go against. Maybe we can get him on the pod to talk about this. Uh, Talk about the picks. Uh, where's he doesn't have his own podcast where we can talk about it. <laughs> wow, I have uh not been paying attention this year. Uh, he's got it, looks like pretty much number one, number one, right? Any upsets? I'm not seeing up. Uh, looks mm. like he thinks UCLA is gonna up, upset Baylor, okay? All right, sees that coming. Uh, and then Kentucky, number two. So we got three number ones and a number two. In the final four, not True. not a lot of upsets. Nobody loves the underdog more than our friend Barack Obama, <laughs> former neighbor. Wow, you know he's got he's got uh, he's got Illinois uh, at least getting to the Sweet Sixteen. I don't know if that's a shout out to the home state, uh, but that's nice. That's nice. You know, Matt, I've I've also not followed the college basketball very closely this year, uh, but. I am a newly uh, minted alumnus of the University of Indiana uh, through my executive certificate in religious fundraising. So I have jumped fully on the Hoosier bandwagon, Matt. Uh, so so if I could fill out a bracket right now, Hoosiers in that 11 seed going all the way. I can't name a single player, but you don't need that when you're an alumnus like myself. Where are they? I can't find them. They're an 11 seed? They're an 11 seed. They did have to play in that first four situation when they uh, defeated the Wyoming Pokes, the, the Cowboys, who were the 1943 NCAA champions, which was uh, not the most robust tournament 
uh, in NCAA history. I did end up in a Wikipedia rabbit hole earlier today. The 1943 version of the tournament, which was during the World War, uh, the second version of that, uh, featured only eight teams, and so it required only three wins. And Wyoming did that. Congratulations, belatedly. From the Vinyl Preacher to the 1943 Wyoming Cowboys. Wow. Incredible stuff. I don't see, unfortunately, uh, Valparaiso on here. Valpo, Valpo uh, not going to the Sweet 16 this year. Unfortunate. That is how I first learned of Valparaiso. It was the old Scott Drew day. That was how I first learned of Valparaiso, too. And apparently it was enough to convince me. That was enough. That's all it takes. At that underdog school. Uh, I, I think you can safely say, Matt, at this point, as we're recording the podcast on Thursday, the first day of the tournament, the ball has been tipped. <laughs> the ball has been tipped. I did. Uh, You're running for I'm, your life. I'm in the midst of a move in this week. Been going through just mountains of T-shirts that I should have gotten rid of a long time ago. And did did come across uh, four years worth of long sleeve T-shirts with uh, Valpo, March Madness, and the bracket, the full yeah. bracket on the back. Uh, they were at least in the tournament for a couple years there. They were at least, probably not get out of the first round very often, but, you know, at least, at least on the board. Matt, I'm a Clemson basketball fan. There is nothing wrong with going to the tournament. <laughs> That's the mark of an incredible season. <laughs> the uh, I have looked it up. And uh, in the first round, my Indiana Hoosiers, Matt, who I've got a deep and abiding relationship with as a, as a member of that organization, as an alumnus, uh, are playing St. Mary's College of California. And for a second there, I was worried it was going to be uh, – I was going to have to pull against the Jesuits. Not to worry. Uh, St. Mary's is part of the De La Salle brothers, uh, part of the Roman Catholic organization. Mm, gotcha. Not Jesuits. Uh, Though it is where our friend Greg Schaefer went to college, which is the good content that people come here on the podcast. They want to hear us break down the brackets by describing random people we know who went to the colleges. I, uh, I thought of him this morning. I was wondering if he had watched The Righteous Gemstones. It seems like it'd be up to that. I bet he has not. And I bet he's not going to. I bet he's not, but I bet he would enjoy it. Greg, somehow... This doesn't feel like a podcast, but just feels like a random conversation. Sidebar: um, We're gonna we're gonna park about this one for after the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it looks like, uh, unfortunately, former president uh, Barack Obama has not picked Indiana. He picked Saint Mary to win. When that first pandering, up. pandering to get the Catholic vote when he runs for president again. Uh, Matt, I think this may be the worst, least interesting A block we've ever done. On the podcast. <laughs> Going through President Obama's picks? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we, know, we haven't done any March Madness this year. Which, we've not. I don't know if we've, we've ever not. done it. <laughs> the sixth year was the year for us to really invest in the madness of March. Uh, that's what I call the, Lent, uh, March Madness. The women's bracket. He's got uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm. Also, number one seed. Now Heavy favorite. Upsets. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the system, our society is missing right now. Stability. And I appreciate that President Obama is trying to provide a tiny sliver of stability in incredibly unstable times. I uh, I did, Matt. I'm excited uh, to switch switch it up a bit here. Um, we're on spring break now. 
here in Boulder. And so I got a week away. It's going to be lovely. But when we come back, uh, a member of the congregation here at St. Aidan's Episcopal Church is going to be with us for our bread and belonging. And I'm very excited about she teaches political science uh, with an emphasis on post-Soviet Eastern European countries uh, and is going to hopefully in the course of 45 to 60 minutes explain everything that's happening in Russia, Ukraine. She's brilliant. Sarah Soki. Um, so we're really excited to have her with us. Also, Matt, I'm very sore today. Because last night I went back to my pickup soccer thing that happens on Wednesday nights. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but it came out, Matt. I went a number of times. You know, I didn't talk to anybody because I don't go to talk to people. I don't need friends. Um, Eventually it came out that I am an identified religious leader. And one of the guys, like, who's kind of in charge, uh, leader-ish of the group, Greg, is Polish. And he loves that I'm a pastor. And, you know, normally when people have a strong reaction to my vocation, it's not good, right? Like for me, whether it's positive or negative, but this is fantastic. Uh, uh, Greg immediately wanted to talk to me about our church's views on abortion. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, Maybe we could start somewhere else. This is not normally a great starting place. Uh, Regardless, I got to know uh, Greg telling stories about when I was doing my uh, hospital chaplaincy in Berwyn, uh, which wasn't at least in – 2006, an incredibly Polish neighborhood where I got to meet tons of Polish folks and not do very effective ministry with them because I didn't know what I was doing. I was terrified and I spoke literally zero to negative uh, Polish. Uh, so he enjoyed lots of those stories. And uh, but I got to talk to him today about it, asked about his family and stuff and like what's going on in, with his uh, his people, you know, with Poland right across the border. And it was really, um, really interesting to talk to Greg, his um, family is all safe and stuff, right? But he says all of his friends in Poland now have at least one person living with them as they've been like overrun with um, with refugees. Um, so, wow. yeah. you know, the we've we've we have not done March Madness, but there's been plenty of madness going around this March, uh, Matt, and we've been talking about it. So we'll probably have to continue talking about it for several years, uh, hopefully not decades, but. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully not talking about that for decades, but hopefully talking for decades and not uh, wiped out by nuclear war, which apparently... Hey, if we have the opportunity to talk 10 years from now... The, the doomsday clock. Just, uh, I learned this week, alive. Matt, you know, so the doomsday clock exists, dear listener, if you're not... If you're younger than Matt and I, perhaps you don't know about the doomsday clock, which is the... Uh, this horrifying thing that we've we're, invented we're to steer. to remember. We're old enough to remember. Um, <laughs> well, we count down to nuclear winter, essentially. Uh, and, you know, in my mind, at least a group of Northern European, Scandinavian, like very serious, dour scientists uh, say terrifying things and then move, uh, dramatically move a hand on a clock closer to midnight. Uh, I learned that there is a rapture like uh, clock. That people update the, the some folks on the evangelical side of things, and that they recently nudged the hand closer to rapture because of these days. No way! Wow! So you got to check out that rapture countdown clock, man. Is there an app for it? I feel like there should be an app so that I could just check on it. Oh man, there will be. By the way, Matt, this podcast is brought to you by the Rapture Countdown Clock app. Brought to you by the Vinyl Preacher Ventures. You can get it in app stores in the future. Assuming 
We're still here. Well, uh, on that note, it's fourth Sunday in Lent. Fourth Sunday in Lent. I've, oh my God, I found it, Matt. Go to, don't, don't, I don't know if I want people to actually go to this website, but it's called raptureready.com. And uh, according to raptureready.com, we are at 1155. Are we always though at 1155? <laughs> we are five much. minutes <laughs> to rapture. I mean, isn't that pretty much the New Testament? We're at 1155. Okay, what we meant was... Much. <laughs> we've been we've been here before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Paul would love it. Paul's rapture countdown clock. You mean there's an even more dramatic way to say that we're not going to be here tomorrow? I'm picturing now uh, some version of Bill and Ted where they go back and get the Apostle <laughs> Paul and bring him to the present where he discovers the rapture clock, like. This is a Matt, let's go. Let's go. I'm in, Matt, I live in. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. Here's a treatment. Let's do this. Matt, I think lots of folks are planning. Have you planned your VBS yet? I'm not. Um, well, here we go. We just did it for you. Bill and Ted's Vacation Bible School, where Bill and Ted bring back important people from the Bible. And you could dress up as Bill and or Ted. You could even get Keanu because he lives in your part of the world. You could definitely get the one who's not Keanu because he's not doing anything. He's, that would be pretty fun. You could build a phone booth like in your second. Yes. Like, 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 like you could probably find one on Craigslist. They don't have them anymore. They, I mean, they went somewhere, right? Like, like that's the real mystery. Uh, why did you buy a, a phone booth? I, we need a supplies, a VBS supplies. It's a right? VBS, just VBS supplies, yeah. All right, listeners, that is your challenge this summer. Bill and Ted's excellent vacation Bible school. I want to see pictures, videos. I want an invitation to participate. Make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, so someone that you could bring through your Bill and Ted phone booth. Joshua. Oh, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. A reading from Je this is. I mean, I don't. It's kind of. So we had Isaiah. I guess we had Isaiah last week. I feel like we had some stories. We started off with some stories. We, we did start Isaiah. off with stories, and we are no longer. And now we're now story. we're Joshua. It's an interesting place to be. I wonder. I wonder how this is going to relate. Reading from Joshua, Joshua five nine to twelve. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away, uh, rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. Fun fact, Gilgal means to roll. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna, and they ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God for a very short reading. Very very short reading. They they cut out the context, uh, which, as I'll recall from the last time we talked about this text, I, I take notes. 
Like I save these things Dang. in my I file. put it in the Google Drive. <laughs> it says that this reading takes place right after the first circumcision. Right after the <laughs> circumcision is when this, this reading takes place. Helpful notes uh, for preachers. Takes place on something called the Hill of the Foreskins, which I, I assume is something God. that you discovered somewhere. <laughs> but that's when this text happens, right after the Foreskins. And that's when the Lord says to Joshua, hey, uh, I see you down there. Recovering. <laughs> Fine. Today, I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. So there you go. There you wow. Go. Uh, it's also right before what happens right after this, the walls come down. We get that little Joshua fights the Battle of Jericho. If you know anything about Joshua, fought the Battle of Jericho, made those walls come down. This this takes place right before that happens. A little in between, in between passage. It is just to the north uh, of Jericho, so that makes sense. They, they moved on from uh, Jericho, head up to Gilgal. I have a, one of the worst meals I've ever ate in my life was in Jericho, which is an incredibly hot place. Uh, was it unleavened cakes and parched grain? It could have been. We had an amazing tour guide, uh, or not tour guide, driver, and he loved us Like and because we were not normal Christian tourists, you know, in the Holy Land. And so at one point we he invited us to his home, which is like a multi-generational home. And we ate snacks and like got to meet his mom and his wife and his sisters and their kids. And like, they didn't speak English and, you know, we didn't, didn't speak um, Arabic and, uh, but a beautiful thing. Right. But, but then he also had all these like side deals with people. So like we stopped, he insisted sometimes that we stopped places. So he insisted that we stop at the sign on the way out to the Dead Sea where you're at sea level. There's like a big sign. And he's like, you got to take pictures here. You got to take pictures here. So we get out and we're taking pictures. And then out of nowhere comes a guy with a camel. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got to ride the camel. And I'm like, okay, I'll ride the camel. And he's like, all right, five shekels. And I was like, oh, I see what this is. <sighs> so he's got to deal with the camel guy. So I rode a camel for five shekels. And uh, evidently, uh, Mazen had to deal with uh, this rest, quote unquote, restaurant in Jericho because we stopped there for lunch right afterwards. And it was like a buffet style kind of deal. And it was hot. There's no like the building was hot and there were a million people in there and they were all like um, from cultures where like personal space doesn't exist. Um, And so they were just all over you, people like fighting to get this like really unappetizing like slop and trays you had to like fight for your slop and stuff right it was miserable so i don't have great uh memories jericho does not evoke positive it evokes a positive thing in that uh gosh maz and his family were fantastic well that's good so you also had a meal i did i had a meal just, in that part of the world israelites right there's a lot there's not a lot <laughs> You know, this is one of those Sundays where if I'm the lectionary maker, this is not my first choice to go to for to find an Old Testament reading because there's it's pretty short and not a ton happens. Um, but there is some stuff here that I think could be pretty good. There are a number of allusions uh, backwards and forwards, right, that I've rolled you away from the disgrace of Egypt. Um, you know, with Christian ears and Christian eyes, that sounds a lot like rolling away stones from, from tombs, if you're looking to connect that way. The other way here is that um, there's an allusion um, to the Passover and to what Moses did. Um, and so Joshua fulfilling fully the role that, that, that he gets as the, as the new Moses. Um, the last thing I'll add, though, that I think is the actual thing I would 
be most likely to preach on is the line, it ends, you know, they, the manna ceased on that day and they ate the produce of the land and the Israelites no longer had manna. Um, th- this is, you know, the, the triumphant entrance into the promised land. We've made it. And moving into the new thing, even though it is a good thing and the thing that you have stro- striven for for, for 40 years, um, you have to leave some things behind. You got to leave those flesh pots behind. You got to leave even manna behind to move into the new thing that God is holding for you and for us. And that's pretty cruciform, cross shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I actually like the the passage here. It's. I mean, yeah. Everything you said. Transitioning. One place to another, one life to another, one identity even to another. Today I've rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. Um, there's just such a sense of movement. I'm also really interested in like how, I mean, it's a, it's a text that's fascinating on its own, but why the lectionary writers chose to put this in conversation with this gospel text. Because typically during Lent, there's some kind of conversation happening between the texts. It's not, this is not semi-continuous land. Um, and so what, how you put this text in conversation with uh, this gospel text, which is which mm-hmm. is a pretty epic top 10 gospel text. It's a big one. Uh, it's, it'd be interesting. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't have that figured out, but I think it'd be an interesting conversation. So. Matt, not only is it March Madness, uh, it's also the season, Matt. I've already seen it. I've seen my first article posted. It is the season for people to write uh, blog post about how you should not do a Christian Seder. Oh, okay. uh, here we go. <laughs> don't, so as, don't we, get me as we get a reading here, Matt, on uh, the Passover and eating unleavened uh, cakes and, and vinegar eggs and, and parsley and stuff, uh, any thoughts you want to add this year on, uh, on the Christian Seder? Not really. It's fine. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, look, people, here's here's my annual complicate things a bit. I agree in general. Yeah, like don't do a Seder. Like in general, yes, that's a, yes, it's a Jewish tradition, not a Christian tradition. Uh, and there's all kinds of really good stuff you can read. Uh, I just read another piece by Amy Jill Levine about it and her new book about Holy Week. Uh, good stuff. However, uh, there is a really interesting tradition of doing Seder meals among African descent Christian communities, which I think is a different conversation than among white communities. Uh, when you're talking about slavery and liberation, there's something interesting going on that almost never gets talked about with these let me dunk on you posts that people put on social media, which I think is what a lot of them are. I think mm-hmm. I think sometimes people write interesting things. I think other times people are like, let me dunk on you and tell you how you're doing it wrong. Uh, and I think people that post up that stuff like that are usually not think, looking at the whole picture uh, and considering what it means for a marginalized community to do one of these same meals. That's what I got, Zach. That's what I got. I love it, Matt. I love it. I love it because, you know, I mean, this is what the, we hope the podcast is about, providing a lot of nuance to things uh, in context. Um, but but you, you've you rubbed off on me, Matt. I get so mad when I see those posts now for you. <laughs> and I'm in no way, I never want to contribute to an internet argument because... That only helps the Russians. Um, but um, uh, I feel, yeah. With that, Matt, I believe 
It's time for the Dave Matthews Band Epistle of the Week. This week's epistle from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is brought to you by the 2002 album Busted Stuff, which featured the single Where Are You Going that topped out at number 15 of Billboard's Top 40. Uh, Where Are You Going? Uh, Did not match the heights of the previous single Every Day, which was a single, I think, off of uh, a different album. It topped out at number 8. Every Day. Yeah, that's uh album holds a special place in my heart because it came out on my birthday. It came out in 2002, which was, yeah, I really, I remember vividly July. playing it nonstop in my 1996 Jeep Cherokee all summer. Uh, I liked Gray Street a little better, but uh, mm-hmm. it was a great album. Well, from now on, Matt, as Dave Matthews once wrote, <laughs> we regard no one from a human point of view. Though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. For if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, the word of the Lord. This, uh, you know, I think a little more clearly ties into the themes that we're going to hit here with the um, well-known gospel. Especially reconciliation is the obvious one, you know. But I think that we are building towards... You know, it ties, it stitches to the Joshua and to the Luke fairly well, that you've got the clear reconciliation path uh, between the Corinthians and the Luke with the prodigal son, and you've got the clear uh, newness, that everything is new, and, and that, that in Joshua the people are entering into a new uh, land, and that the promise of Paul, that Paul expands here a bit, promise of Paul, ugh, promise of Christ proclaimed by Paul, um, is that the newness, the new life of God is not waiting for us on the other side of 40 years, um, on the other side of the circumcision mountain, but that the everything is new, um, that the new life of Christ is here among us. Indeed, yeah. And that connection between reconciliation, that reconciliation itself is a form of resurrection, is a form of everything mm-hmm. being made new, uh, is a really interesting concept, as is this idea that God... I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, uh, lot going on here. That God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That we have uh, been made ambas- ambassadors of reconciliation. This is it's a pretty powerful concept to unpack. I don't know if you're unpacking it today, uh, but maybe. Maybe. I'm okay with being an ambassador for reconciliation as long as I get diplomatic immunity. There you go. And, yeah. Gospel, according to Luke. Gospel, according to Luke. An oldie but a goodie, man. Ever heard of it? Oh, prodigal son. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. And here the lectionary does an interesting thing. He told them this parable. Let me go from verse 3. To verse 11. Uh, (laughs) So you might be wondering, uh, that's misleading. It's very misleading. Uh, 
what happens between verses 3 and 11 are two other parables. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin. We got three parables. Uh, and Jesus, just such a master storyteller, as is Luke, a master storyteller, uh, says, uh, gives this kind of short parable of the sheep, right? Not that many verses. Short parable of a coin. Boom! Long-ass parable of a son. So here we go. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And so he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled himself with the Tide Pods that the pigs were eating. <laughs> no That's what that means, right? Pods, the pigs yeah, yeah, surely. Uh, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, what a line. When he came to himself, <laughs> he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. So I will get up. And go to my father. And I will say to him, just writing out the speech, Father, I have sinned against him. And before you. He does that thing longer. where, you know, like he does it beforehand, right? Like, here's what yeah. he's going to say. And then I'm going to say this. And then, like, oh, I'm going to really, like, one, two, one. Yep. Yep. And then nobody ever sets you up the way you want to be. <laughs> father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But when he was still far off, it doesn't play out like he thought, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. A Greek word for that, splagetsamai. Oh, gotta love that one. The guts spilled out. His father. Uh, And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son began his speech. Father... It's just just word for word, verbatim. Father, it's like he wrote it out. Father, I have sinned (laughs) against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off and doesn't let him finish the speech. You worked so hard on this speech. I know, right? (laughs) Quickly, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. And put, are you even listening to me, dad? No, I got, (laughs) bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Fade to black. Oh, it's a fake ending just like uh, the Lord of the Rings. Now his elder son was in the field. You forgot about him. Oh, I forgot about Dre. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. All right. How did he not get the invitation? How long did this take to like settle this up? Mm-hmm. He called one of his slaves. He's, I mean, really like nobody went out to tell this man. <laughs> hey, he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten back safe and sound. And then he became angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and he began to plead with them, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working 
like a slave for you. You wonder where Britney Spears got that title? That song title? <laughs> it was probably and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, whoo, and kill you, killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, oh Christ, man. My goodness. It's so good. There's so much there. This week, Matt, this time through, this is one of my favorites. Uh, <clears throat> and it is a story I tell very often when I'm trying to explain um, kind of a Girardian approach. And I'll, I'll get into it a little bit today. But before I do that, the new thing I noticed this week is, is what you said, uh, where the prodigal son, uh, the, the moment of transformation comes when he comes to himself. Which is the literal Greek? It's the word. It's the verb to come. That's used to go to worship, to come to worship, to come. Uh, and and so, for one whose ministry is is just knee deep all the time in vocational stuff, um, and that I think vocation is rooted in discerning identity more than it is anything else. Um, this is a call story. This is a story of of discerning your place in the world, and it happens. Wholeness, reconciliation, the right place of, of the prodigal son in the world happens only when he comes, when he's able to find a way to come to himself, to understand who he is, to understand who God has made him to be, uh, that then we move to this, that all of this stuff is not able to happen without that clear, difficult work of discernment. Indeed, yeah. And like, it's such an interesting understanding of coming to yourself. I mean, there's... I can think of another story where uh, there, this, this rich man is storing up the grain, right, in his in his storage silos. And he says to himself, self, <laughs> this guy talking to himself, right? And that guy, like, clearly being treated uh, like a joke in that story. And here, this is, almost, this is a positive thing when he comes to himself. It's almost like, and this is a story of a, of a, of a person who in the beginning of the text is trying to be this individualist. Like, he's going to go off and live by himself mm-hmm. and, like, do his own thing. But when he truly comes to understand himself, he comes to understand himself as part of the whole and not in some romantic ways because he literally cannot survive mm-hmm. by himself. <laughs> he, he needs to be part of the whole in order to eat, in order to, um, to have his needs met. And then he finds uh, so much more. The Girardian take on the story uh, really centers on this stuff at the end, um, which, is, uh, which is centered in the non-prodigal son's inability to live into the fullness and the wholeness of the world that God has created and given to him, uh, that it's, it's very telling, right? All these years I've been working like a slave for you, and you never gave me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Um, and that's nonsense, right? Because the, one of the first lines in the parable is that uh, it says, so the father divided the property between him, between them. So everything that belongs to the father is the inheritance, is in, in a very real real way the the property of the son uh and the father responds with that right like listen uh all that's mine is yours uh but the son doesn't want to to live into that fullness and into that wholeness um 
Girardian thought, you know, it was all about scapegoating and scapegoating as a tool, a quick and dirty tool for creating wholeness, that it's really easy um, to create a whole community, right? Like we hear from the non-prodigal son wanting to celebrate with his friends, which means not celebrating with the prodigal son because the prodigal son gets to be the scapegoat because the, and because we know we're not the prodigal son, we get to be whole um, because we have expelled someone. And that's the clearest way to, the easiest way to form belonging in a way that humans really like to do that. And what this story proclaims, right, is that the fullness that God has for us, holds for us, uh, is here and is a thing that we already have, but we find ourselves, you know, too often occupying the role of the non-prodigal son, refusing to, to, to relax into that. And then to hear this parable as the third of that, of the lost sheep and the lost coin, uh, you know, the real takeaway I think is that God is so committed to, to true wholeness that, that our scapegoating methods of creating wholeness are inadequate. And that, you know, to go to the sheep metaphor, the sheep parable, right? God's willing to risk everything for the sake of wholeness. Uh, 99.9% is not enough. For God and God will risk everything in order that we all might be made whole. And that applies on a community level, on a world, global level, and, and I think on a personal level for the wholeness of uh, and the reconciliation of individual humans. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. It's such a, I mean, this is not that theologically deep, but it is just such a human story. It's so, re- it's so relatable, this yeah. sense of resentment. <laughs> that the sun has, especially like reading it this time again, uh, like you, I feel like I see something different every time. And I think this time I, I especially notice how like nobody goes out to tell him <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. He stumbles on the party, right? Like, it's like he gets the invitation. He goes, is this? No, it's not until he hears the music and dancing mm-hmm. because he finally came in from work, even working in the fields all day. And, you know, it's like, again, what's like, he should just, he should just chill. But that sense of resentment is just so, I don't know, I relate to it. I fall in that trap all the time. Uh, and so it's just, it's so deeply human. And I wonder what the, what is the fix? What is the fix for that, uh, that sense of resentment? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, like, we're in this season of Lent and it's like, does this younger son, if he never has this experience, does he end up like the the elder brother, right? Does he need to be hmm. humiliated, basically like humbled, which is, you know, same root word, right? Does he need to be humbled, brought low in order to understand uh, what grace really is? Um, whether that has to literally happen to us or whether some moment of realization has to happen in order for us to experience that. Um, Perhaps he needs to come to himself. Yeah. (laughs) Perhaps he doesn't have a, I mean, I think, I think I can make the argument pretty compellingly here that he doesn't have a clear understanding of who he is, right? He has forgotten that he is a brother. Uh, He's forgotten that he is a son. Um, He has forgotten or forgotten or he doesn't know, right? Like he has not yet clearly come to understand the universe and his place in it. Yeah. And if we can get a little bit meta, I wonder if that is, I mean, that, that, that is part of what Jesus is doing through this storytelling, right? Yep. Through telling this parable, through Jesus is basically <laughs> preaching, uh, not to make your job that important preachers, but one hopes mm-hmm. that God might speak through us uh, to make those kinds of, of connections. Um, 
And remember, Is that this happens on a Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe not. But we pray it happens in preaching. We pray it happens in the sacraments, um, and we know it's going to happen in real life. So Jesus preaches, 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 uh, and then he's actually going to go to the cross. But I think I, I don't. I just I think that's a powerful thing, right? That like he needs to have this realization. He needs to come to himself. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why Jesus is telling this parable in the hope that those listening might come to themselves. I don't know if I want that responsibility. (laughs) It is. I got you. Yeah. Uh, It is in response to the, the parable. The three parables are told in response to everybody saying that this fellow, which by the way, loves this fellow, uh, (laughs) this guy eats with uh, sinners, um, uh, hangs out with sinners and eats with them. Right. And so it is this whole reorientation, I think, right. To say, Oh, if the parables are about helping the listener come to themselves, it's about coming to yourself in such a way that you realize that your place is a seat at the table next to the sinner, uh, or at least those who you deem to be the sinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a reward we have given Matt to our listeners who made their way through the first 15 minutes of the podcast today. What, what a reward, right? What's a reward? Um, also, one last thing. Uh, if you really, if you want that little, that little grace note at the end of your sermon, what? I mean, you want to get a little mystagogical with the sacraments. Uh-oh. Here you get this massive word of forgiveness, right? And then you, you know, if you're doing a, if you're doing a classic Lutheran liturgy, where you go after this, you go to the table. You mm. go to the celebration. Mm. Imagine this week if you think about your communion table as that celebration to which everyone is invited. Are you going to sacrifice uh, the fatted calf on that table? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but uh, in a deeper way, yeah, maybe, right? The body and the blood. So there you go. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, Matt, we covered the text. Uh, And now it's time uh, for something we like to call uh, the Vinyl Preacher Patreon Playlist of the Week, Matt. You can support the work of this podcast, critical work, where we talk about Barack Obama's uh, NCAA bracket. Uh, we give you free, incredible vacation Bible school ideas and talk about the text uh, at uh, patreon.com slash the vinyl preacher. What are you listening to this week, Matt? What do you got? What's going on? Well, uh, I was looking at that in Joshua reading, and I was like, oh, 11 cakes. I gotta have some cake. Uh, and so, went to the band cake. Professor mm. uh, Heister's favorite. Cake, all caps. Uh, and, which one did I choose? Uh, how about their cover of I Will Survive? Oh, that's a good one. Because <laughs> isn't that? Yeah. Isn't that what that prodigal son is doing before he comes to himself? He's just out there trying to survive. I will survive. And then, uh, I was looking for prodigal. I wonder if there's any prodigal sun songs. And guess what I found? All killer, no filler. Incredible stuff. Mm. Pro, a song called Prodigal Son that showed up as a Rolling Stones song. And it is just a classic. It sounded so like uh, classic country blues style that I was like, I wonder if they wrote this. Uh, turns out, bit of a dispute. They forgot to credit the original author. <laughs> uh, who was the Reverend Robert Wilkins. They had to have a little come to Jesus on that one. Uh, but Reverend Robert Wilkins, uh, who was a, a blues man and a reverend, uh, both, uh, for real. He was also a yep. preacher. And he wrote this incredible uh, blues song, just a classic blues structure uh, that really tells the story. I mean, just basically tells this biblical story, but with this classic country blues. And the other thing that I love is just a wonderful grace note in this song is that the refrain that he keeps coming back to is, and that's 
So prodigal son starts out, uh, and that's the way for me to get along. I'm going to take off by myself, and that's the way for me to get along. It's mm. like the last little line. And then it gets to the end, and the father is saying, this will be the way for us to get along. That's the way for us to get along. And this this move from the individual to the communal is also part of what happens in this story. It's so good, Zach. So good. It's so good. Oh, this is why I come to this podcast. Discover this song. Look it up. The prodigal son, uh, Rolling Stones version is good, but check out the original by the Reverend Robert Wilkins. It is worth your time. Love uh, it. And then finally, needed a celebrate song. Uh, and uh, one of my favorites is by Common, Chicago artist Common. Mm. He's got a song called Celebrate, and it's just a, it is the sound uh, of a great family celebration. Very chill, uh, but very lovely. Those are my three. I like it. I like it, man. I'm going to go back to a, a song that was formational for me in the early aughts. Uh, especially in the South where Outkast was uh, taking over the world. Their, their reign was too short-lived, but, but I was there for a moment in which it was flowering. And so uh, in the spirit of wholeness, I got some whole songs uh, and the whole world with Killer Mike. Uh, I think it's a great one this week. I think it ties into your, uh, your Seder uh, conversation a little bit. Uh, but the whole world loves it when you don't get down. Ba, ba, ba. And it's like, it's one of those outcast songs too, right? You know, the um, Hey Ya is a, is a sad song, right? Like this is super Bobby, but a sad song. If you like really listen to the lyrics and what it's about. Uh, and it's got Killer Mike, yo. So uh, check mm-hmm. that out. And then I went through a couple of covers myself before I got to uh, Reckless Eric, who originally wrote uh, Whole Wide World. I got the whole wide world. I bet a whole wide world just to find it. Uh, which, you know, fits Prodigal Son pretty good pretty good mm-hmm. and then Matt I think we got a theme because we have uh, here on the playlist two artists two bands uh, who ripped off uh, uh, artists of color a uh, whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin one of their classics most listened to is debatably stolen ripped off from Muddy Waters uh, unaccredited as well so in a week in which we're talking about scapegoating and the inability of humans to live into the fullness of the world that God has given us uh, somewhat appropriate that we put um, a couple songs coming from artists who had some difficulty living into that fullness, trusting in the generosity of God. Good stuff. Good. Well, uh, good text, good playlist. It's been real. Real vinyl. <laughs>